Hey, family, welcome back to Jonathan Soul. Here I interview comic book creators and sci-fi writers from the global African community. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Tertero only. If you've ever been to a comic book convention, particularly a black comic book convention, then you, you should be familiar. You should understand that that really started with Tertero only. He started the Black Age of Comics, which has then morphed into you know, other comic book conventions that, you know, happen at the Schomburg, happen down south, happen in California, the whole bit. Um, not only that, he actually was one of the first to organize artists. And so he talks about that. There's a connection with, uh, you know, the, the, the Blade character of Marvel that he's going to get into. So it's a very, very deep, heavy interview. If you're a fan of uh, the black comic genre or if you're, uh, if you're a creator yourself, you're definitely going to dig this interview. Churchill only. Let's listen. Um, when did you start organizing? Like when did this, when did the Black Arts Guild come about? Like when did you start pulling people together? Okay. <laughs> I like you, so I'm gonna tell you the quick truth. Okay. My my uncles my uncles were the leaders of the first successful black in the city of Chicago. All right. And so so they put some of that organizational thing in me. And so in the 60s, as we were going toward the black consciousness movement, black cultural movement, I morphed over to that and was thinking, okay, how can I use my art to affirm positive change in this thing called black culture? Mm -hmm. And so um, when, I, when I got out of high school, I was 18, that was when I formed DAG, the Black Arts Guild, because at that point, my concern was how could young black talented artists work together to become professional artists, not doing protest art, not doing art off the pig, off the man. We bad. I mean, we did that, but you ain't making no money doing that. Right. So, so my thing, my thing was I always had to make money as a kid. You know, I had, you know, my grandfather was out of the deep Negro culture. So you didn't ask for money. You asked for how do you go make money? Mm. And, and they, and, and they would guide you to your hustle as a little boy and that's what you did. You pulled your weight, you know? And so, and so my thing was how to make money because well, one of the things that prompted me, uh, there's this vocalist, you all know her, her name's Shaka Khan. Mm -hmm. She was a classmate of mine in high school. And so one day in the lunchroom, she's talking about how she was doing background vocals with some people and getting paid. And I'm like, wait a minute, I want to get paid for drawing. Okay. So that's what slipped that switch in me about how to do this. So I formed the Black Arts Guild and start recruiting members. We were uh, self-sustaining. You know, I, I'm not going to run through all that, but, you know, we pooled our money. If you were a member of the guild, if you needed money for rent, you could petition. We cut you a check. Wow. If you were in school, you needed, and if you were in school and needed to buy art supplies for a critique, we cut you a check. We had our own critiques. We did traveling exhibits. And, okay, here comes the other part that a lot of the brothers and sisters back then had a problem with. We were looking at changing the Piccaninny into a positive cultural icon. Okay. We were thinking that we were thinking if the Leprechaun can be cool, Leprechaun, he's always lying. He's never got a job. He's always he's claiming he's looking for a pot of gold. Now, if people can buy that sham, we could do something with the Leprechaun. I mean, with the Piccaninny. Okay. So, so we used to do a lot of Piccaninny work, and our logo was the watermelon because the watermelon is typically connected to us. And guess what? It happens to be red, black, and green. 
Okay. Oh, y'all came okay. at it from the from the different perspective. Okay, all right. Okay, so here we were doing just taking any images and positive interpretations of the watermelon, red, black, and green when everybody else is doing artwork on off the pig. Right. And you know, and they're looking at traveling exhibits and we like, well, how can you be against red, black, and green, and they would just look at us like, wow, oh, no. Hilarious. You know, and then, and, and then, but but then by day, we're downtown Chicago and downtown New York in, in offices at ad agencies and publishing companies, what they were looking for for work. So we had that total spectrum going. So, so uh, you know, and it worked. And so we had to guild together from 1970 until 1978. When I started going back and forth to France, because you know, I mean, I was holding it together. I just couldn't do it at that point. Yeah. But those concepts, th- those concepts, the internal concepts, later got morphed into what now is the growing Black Age of Comics movement genre and concept. Okay. 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 So, um, so, so that's a, that's so a one, perfect segue. You want to get into that? How how the uh, Black Age came about? Um, the Black about, you know, I'm not going to name the brands, but I was going into major offices in New York at major publishing companies that are mm-hmm. known for comic books. And I'm talking to the VP of one. This is ooh, maybe 1980. Okay. And, you know, he, he, he says to me, do black people read? And, and, you know, we're talking and I realize, wait, he's not trying to dish me. He really believes in this stuff. Yeah. And so then, and so then there's some other companies that go to, and they're like, well, who are you? And I'm like, I'm your one o'clock appointment. They're like, well, you couldn't have done this work. You're a black guy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I'm like, okay, we need to expand industry. Like the way the music industry got expanded so that when you show up and you black, nobody's in a state of shock. Yeah. And if you're doing work, if you're doing work that reveals and showcases and expresses your blackness, that nobody's in a state of shock. So the comic book industry is sort of separated in ages, golden age, silver age. So my thesis was, if you come from the black African urban or independent experience, Mm -hmm. that puts you in the black age. That puts you in the black age. Okay. So in 19, so in 1993, my company, Only Studios, we organized the world's first black age of comics convention. And it was a full convention. We had vendors, workshops, seminars, door prizes, wow. and we par- and we paralleled it with the launch of Milestone Media. Okay. So Milestone Media launched the same month we did. It was like we were a week apart. So my operation, we're launching the Black Age as a movement and genre, and Milestone Media launched as the biggest Black-owned company the industry had ever seen. Now, is this serendipity, or did you know the brothers over at Milestone? Oh, we knew each other. Dwayne McDuffie and I were talking about it for a long time. I mean, it's funny because we used to have our meetings and talk. Dwayne and I, uh, Dennis Cowan, uh, uh, Mike Davis, who were three of the principals, along with Derek Dingle, at Milestone. And so when we first met, Milestone was a secret. You know, they weren't telling what they were going to do. Um, and then when Dwayne let me know, I'm like, well, look, let's coordinate this. And so when we had our launch, we had milestone products, you know, they had shipped us posters 
and everything. So we were introducing oh, wow. it to the Chicago market. So this was total coordination. So I just want to let that out because there's this myth that brothers and sisters don't work together. Yes, we do. We always work together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you don't get, you know, you don't get this far on planet earth without working together. Can we do better? Sure. But better don't mean we don't do good. It means we just got to improve on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'd like to talk a little bit more about milestone later on, but let me get back into the black age of comics. So you had a full convention, okay. you coordinated the launch, you know, in a, in a sense with, with milestone, um, who were some of the artists or, or, or companies that were there? What was attendance like? What was the reception that you got from the crowd? Give me some of that feeling, some of that vibration. Uh, you know, if you ever been to Chicago back then, it was really cold. We did it in February, Black History Month, so it was probably like five degrees outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a house. We did it in the Bronzeville district at the uh, historic Southside Community Arts Center which is the last existing art center from the old WPA days. Oh, wow. That okay. were, uh, these, these were programs during the Great Depression. Yeah, that were people to work. And so, yep. and, so, and so that's where we had it. Um, the the uh, people that were there, it's like Tim Jackson presented. Oh, wow. Uh, he has okay. a product out. He, yeah, he has a book called, you know, uh, Pioneers of Color or something like that in the comic book industry, Pioneering Cartoonists. Uh, Craig Rex Perry presented. People know him from being an animator with the Proud family. And at the time, he was working with um, BET had a a trendy magazine. I forget the name of it. And he also did a product line. He he was doing a book at that time called Hip Hop Heaven. Um, There were some other people featured. There's a brother named Verzell James that did Jam Graphics. So it might have been three or four publishers, and I had picked up books that um, early products that Machendo had worked on, uh, Electro X would have been one of them. Um, Roland Laird had a book called uh, MC Squared. Uh, Willie Brown had a book called Inner City Products. Okay. And uh, we and, and we had uh, different products from uh, Big City, meaning the the uh, Brother Man books. Right. So um, so they weren't there present, but we had all that on display wow. and to sell. So the so the presenters would have been Craig Rex Perry, myself, uh, Tim Jackson. So we would have been the prime presenters. Okay. We okay. had. Uh, we had a recruiter from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and we and we had oversight by Herbert Nixon, who at that time was the executive editor for Ebony Magazine. Wow! And so when I say and, and when I say oversight, he was there in the building with us the whole time. Okay. okay. You know, so he was he was he was given a lot of tips and mentoring and hanging out. He's just really a beautiful brother. So you and had so, some some real so, luminaries there. So. Now I want to know about the audience. Who was in the audience? Was it just our students? Was it moms and dads and kids? Who, who tell me about the people who uh, you know who, the audience, who came? The audience. The audience was a little bit of all that. You had wannabes. You had uh, art teachers that made it a field trip and brought busloads of students. Okay. Say high school. Say high school level. You had people who were looking to go to college. That's why we had the recruiters there. Wow. Uh, we, we had a bunch of ideologues uh, from the old 
black cultural nationalist movement who don't know what to make of a comic book, but they were there. And, uh, and, we, uh, okay. and, and you know, and then we had people that, you know, call themselves collectors of black art, but they don't touch anything called a comic book, but they were there. Hmm. You know, we, we, we had, them, you know, we had them all there. We, we had writers, uh, we had a, a simulcast going on with Kennedy King College. They had a radio station. Mm-hmm. So there was a, a brother there that did a, a, a program called Critics Corner. So, you know, he did a, a cast. So that went out to, you know, pretty good audience. All right. So we had a lot of things. We had a lot of things going on. And we did it for about five years in a row at the Southside Community Arts Center. And then... Um, Yomi Odom out of Philadelphia got in touch with me. We had been talking all along. Mm-hmm. He got in touch and wanted to know my feelings if they would do the East Coast Black Age of Comics convention. I'm like, go for it. Please do that. Okay. And so that, that's when the movement leaped from just being Chicago to now we're in another market. Wow. And at this point, and, and at this point that cascaded to um, in Detroit, it's the Motor City Black Age of Comics Convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Atlanta, it's OnyxCon, and and in New York, they do the um, Black Comics Fest. They do a Black Comic Book Festival mm-hmm. out in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. we have grown in different markets. So you you started you started African People's Comic Con movement, basically. Yeah. Exactly. And, and you could see the impact. And, you know, I used to always go like to, you know, San Diego Comic Con back then and do presentations on all this. And, um, and so the industry has kind of looked at our mojo and that's why you see them, um, promoting their characters of color. Okay. And so they're like, they, they've got a corner in the market before we figure the commerce out. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, you know, we have a range of characters as a movement. You okay, know, stop, 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 stop. You made a heavy, heavy point, and it bears repeating. You said okay. they want to corner the market before we figure the commerce thing out. Exactly. exactly. Is that what happened with Black mm-hmm. Panther, the Black Panther movie? Does anybody remember much of the Black Panther before 1993? Now, he's only been around since 1967, and mm-hmm. he only whooped up on Captain America all the time, but he was always considered a B-rate character, yeah. just like Luke Cage. Luke Cage was a joke in the industry, mm-hmm. okay? And, and, and a lot of brothers and sisters that worked in the industry, you know, you talk to them at an event, and they push you off like, like they didn't want to be outed for being black because they knew another black person. Wow. And so the industry was real uptight about you being black, or, or what to do with a black product. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, um, uh, even blade blade in the books wasn't that much of a character. No. Okay. Before the movie, before the movie, which was more on one of our products, mm-hmm. the look, you yeah. know, but they didn't create that look. They didn't create that look. I created that look. And, you, and they, whoa, whoa, whoa. They you created it, that look. Huh? Explain please. I put out a character in a book in 1992 called Malcolm 10. And he had the deep urban haircut with the lines in the head mm-hmm. and, and the gun shaped like that and the attitude and the glasses. And at that time, 
Blade in the comic book had a big curly afro and wore bell bottoms. Right. Okay. Okay. And I was in a long conversation with the uh, vice president of acquisitions at New Line Cinema. And uh, all of a sudden it broke down. He returned myself and he said, well, I'm giving it to you because I don't trust my own people. Then they optioned Blade. And then here comes Blade with the Malcolm 10 look. Okay. And if anybody, if anybody wants to question me on it, get a copy of Malcolm 10. I'm looking at uh, Malcolm 10 cover. Now he does, he does have that blade feel, especially the haircut. Yeah. Wow. In other words, in other words, blades got the Malcolm 10 feel. Right. See, so, uh, and, and when I've gone to lawyers, they're like, sure, we can see your case. You got your copyright, but you got to advance us 250,000 for us to take it on. And I just don't have that chump chain. Uh, but this is what I mean about the commerce. Uh, what okay. we're dealing with in the black age, the lawyers, the accountants, the financial people have yet to show up. Mm. And so the bigs, and the, the bigs in the industry, they like, they like making money on it the way that uh, the music industry made money with R&B with the likes of uh, Elvis Presley until Motown put up a challenge. Okay. You know, and so and so when Motown figured out the commerce and the music industry, it radically changed the music industry forever. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so and so we're looking at that. Um, Milestone had a good run; they had a production deal. Okay. So they had a production deal. They had a production deal with a major company, and they had a good run. I mean, they ended up doing Static Shock, which had a good run mm-hmm. in animation. I mean, they they had a real good run. So I see the progress all around. And my thing is, if something's good, make it better. I see the progress and, you know, how to make it better. And so it's not the need for better writing, drawing, graphic design, and that. What's needed is somebody better than us in distribution. Okay. Somebody better than us swinging deals with the investors. Somebody managing all the administrative stuff. That is where you win the commerce. You got to control that. See, see, a lot of times we fall into the love of being a victim. Like, well, you know, we created it and they stole it. Well, did they steal it or did we discard it? Did they steal it or did we come up short on the commerce? Hmm. And so I read it. And so, you know, I believe in coming from a position of power. You ain't stealing from me. Right. Okay. And so the key, the key is, I'm going to win the struggle on the commerce. It's taking longer than I thought. But the reason why I bring it up, because I know it's out there. You got too many brothers and sisters that's been downsized by corporate America mm-hmm. that's driving Uber. They need to wake up and come to us. Mm-hmm. Okay. They need to come to us. We, we've done the grunt work. You're talking about a movement that has been sustainable in several major markets in the United States. Mm-hmm. All we need to grow is the commerce part. Okay. And none of us are lawyers. None of us are accountants. None of us are, are, are these kind of people. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's not our pedigree, but we've gotten it this far. Mm-hmm. So what's needed is that complimentary service. I don't care where they come from. They're welcome, but they need to get with us before we have to make deals with some people that might lock them out. All right, family, I hope you dug that interview. I definitely want you to follow up with the, the elder Churchill only. 
Uh, he's definitely given a lot to the culture, a lot to the movement of black entrepreneurship uh, in the comic book and fiction space. Go over to uh, OnlyStudios.com, O-N-L-I Studios.com, and uh, you can definitely uh, find out what events that he's holding and, uh, and then, you know, what artwork and books that you can grab. Uh, also, if you want to support this podcast, if you feel like there's value being presented here, go over to Amazon.com. Look up Malcolm Mars by Jonathan Soule, yours truly. And you can pick up my space opera, uh, Malcolm Mars. Three brothers take their families to Mars in a homemade starship. It's a sci-fi ebook space opera. <laughs> and it's the kind of book that I wanted to see. I didn't see it, so I wrote it. And you can definitely support this podcast. Uh, follow me on uh, Twitter uh, and uh, Instagram, J-O-H-N-A-T-H-A-N-S-O-U-L. Go to my website, johnfasol.com, for my, uh, my uh, other interviews and my comic book reviews. You can also check out my YouTube channel, Jonathan Soul, where you can catch all my, uh, my uh, videos uh, of comic book reviews. Love you guys. Hope all your dreams come true. Check you out next time. JonathanSoul.com. Peace.